yeah, we, we hope you enjoyed part one of the Nerd Summit. Uh, we're, we're, we're back in Hall H and uh, we're, we've all sat back down. So join with us again, some more deep, rich content that is the season finale of Teeves and Kid Feet. fourth question and this question is all about reboot sequel fatigue and if we even think there's room for new ips in pop culture and nerd culture and all these things that we love um i see vince is nodding pretty vigorously so (laughs) i will uh i'll see the floor to him Um, I personally, I, I'm, I'm not so much sequel fatigue, definitely reboot fatigue. Spider-Man, I was kind of hitting my threshold, but Tom Holland won me over, um, in my opinion, and it's my hot take, he's the best Peter Parker and Spider-Man, a best comp- it's, it's the best cinematic representation of this Spider-Man I loved, because, you know, I love Tobey Maguire, but he was too emo and i'm not referring to the third movie okay (laughs) i i loved andrew garfield but i do agree that he was too cool and i think you know this spider-man is the relatable spaz and jokester and funny guy that i remember that i wish i had more of during the late 80s and early 90s of spider-man before deadpool became spider-man without web slingers right um but that being said Sequels, not so much, because if it's a continuation of a story, I'm interested until it sucks. But reboots, it's like, <laughs> come on, let's let's get some new ideas. Let's quit leaning on the old stuff. And I think I, I hit the, the last reboot I, I was willing to give a chance would have been the Batfleck movie. I, I loved Ben Affleck's performance as a Batman. I thought he was the nearest version of Batman that I knew from the comics, that I understood from the comics. I was on board for, you know, for the Twilight Batman because of the hype of, I was hearing, you know, I was hearing all, reading all the articles about how it was going to be more of the Dark Knight detective, less of the, I'm going to beat a freaking, I'm going to course a confession out of you, Batman, you know, less of the terrorist, more of the, 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 the brainy, you know, let's solve a mystery, you know? And then the first teaser they release is, is Edward beating the crap out of some thugs. And he's like, oh, I'm like, what's, what this, what's, can we stop with the Batman voice? And that's Please. the and that's the thing. I want to see <sighs> Detective Batman. Yes, I really do. I got so into the animated of uh, Batman Year One that they came out with. I thought that was fantastic. And if they were to do a full length feature live action film centered around that, I would eat that all of it. Just put it on a plate. Give me a knife and fork with some sides, and let me just eat that shit up. Okay, so we're talking about original IP here. Um, let somebody else do the detective stuff. <laughs>
and let Batman <laughs> do the Batman stuff. Clearly, nobody has any interest in seeing Batman as a detective. So, I don't know, let's have a The Question movie. Or better yet, let's have a movie with an entirely new person solving mysteries. Is this the chance to bring up, maybe it's time for the Odo Garrick mysteries? <laughs> wow. You go right ahead. Wow. <laughs> the Adventures of Stretch and the Weasel. <laughs> I, hey, you I know, think Star Trek's popular again i think it would be a great spin-off series it could even be a cartoon you want to talk about putting a twist on an ip how about the wonder twins mysteries there we go there we go you have a brother sister duo solving crime and you got gleek the monkey that's their scooby-doo done oh uh, so i'm pretty Sign sure every i'm pretty sure every crime would be solved by some type of water and an animal <laughs> What is wrong with that exactly? What you, you hate cute animals? And they, they'd have to play that sound effect where somebody like slips on water that they, they put into every <laughs> and when they're about to run, they, they put into every one of those old uh Hanna Barbera cartoons. So let's just get it on record. Teeves hates cute animals and women. Okay, all right, cool. <laughs> we're there. We've we we've added to the list. Okay, all right, it's fantastic. I have not reached reboot fatigue just yet because I want to go back to a point that Vince made and it's the point that I would like to see somebody else's spin on something that came out 20 30 years ago it would be fun to see where they would think about that like where would they where where are you going with this right if they if they made a Congo sequel I would be all for it I'd be like hey what are they going to do with Congo now and like, Zack Snyder's I, Congo. Zack Snyder's Congo. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm all there. But it has to be the right reboot. And I think we I made this point on the, the, the reboots and remakes podcast that we did. It has to be the right IP. For example, one of the worst reboots ever done, Point Break. Absolutely, absolutely atrocious reboot. There's no, there was no need to remake it. It was Patrick Swayze. Peak Pat Swayze and young Keanu Reeves. It, it was perfect the way it was. Just leave it alone. Wasn't Gary Busey in that too? Gary Busey. This was... Uh, Done. I, I want to say this was level five coke of Gary Busey. <laughs> he hadn't quite reached level 10 yet. No, no horse tranquilizers? No horse tranquilizers just yet. But uh, again, Teams and I were big fans of the 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 warriors right that's another one where shut you, up that's another stop one. talking I'm saying that's another I'm trying one. to do shut up that's another <laughs> one that's another one where people need to leave it the hell alone there's a there's a fresh Prince of Bel Air re, remake coming no leave that the hell alone how could you do that that there's show no, you was... can't they're wet. It's something that Teebs pointed to so many times in this podcast. It's the weaponization of nostalgia. And yeah. fine, but you have to remake the stuff that makes sense. You can't take beloved shit and bring it into the... There's nothing wrong. It's on HBO Max right now. The Fresh Prince, as it was, is fucking perfect. Leave it alone the way it is. You can't redo that story. Look, 
Will Smith at the time was at the peak of his power and he was extremely charismatic. You can't replicate that magic. You can't. Well, and they had the perfect straight man with Carlton. Exactly. Yes. It was just, it was a a great comedy uh, ensemble. Like Fresh Prince, Leave It Alone, Beverly Hills Cop, Don't Touch It, Lethal Weapon, I'm open to the possibility because the, the, the short-lived TV show of Lethal Weapon I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah, I liked it too. They, they captured that same craziness of the original movie, which was, it's a was shame, what it was all about. It's a shame that the actor who played Riggs got involved in some Me Too stuff, so they had to recast Sean William Scott, and it was completely different feel, and it didn't yeah. work with Damon Wayne's and Sean William Scott. It worked with Damon Wayne's Chandler Riggs. That made perfect sense. But yeah. killing off the Riggs character? Like, what is the... No. If, yeah. if that happens, you just have to scrub production. Or if you want to do a show that is in that vein, you need to take that name off of it. Yes. it's going to... You can't yeah. help but have comparisons be drawn. Yes. Um... It's, it's like if you want to make a movie about one cop that's a hothead. I mean, basically, Bad Boys is freaking it's lethal, lethal weapon. weapon, but you call it Bad Boys and it's a different thing. You just all you really need is two dudes with chemistry and you can make a show. Um, and it goes back to something Teva said, Teva said about the, the, go, the new Ghostbusters movie. Um, if that was a movie where those four actresses were able to do a movie like that, not attached to the Ghostbusters franchise. I think it's a way more accepted movie. I think the deepest point of just getting, getting, um, getting them to write that movie. Yes, funny. You have these talented writers, and you you get them to act in in what's a poor script, no matter how you you spin it. I'm, and I'm and I'll, full disclosure. I'm coming off the hype of the trailer because my my wife and I were losing our collective shit over it. Yeah. Is is the new Matrix? That's kind talk of about hype. it. I'm hyped. I'm, I'm in there. I'm, and and I mean, it's I see it as kind of a reboot slash sequel. So I'm I'm wondering because because um I, I think it's Kid Phoenix. I mentioned it. It's I mean oh man, is the franchise really that old? Anyway, but twenty years old. Twenty years old. Twenty yeah, years so, old. The Matrix it, can drink. Not, yeah, and not quite yet. Yeah, not one year away. Well, <laughs> in, in, other, in other countries they can. But <laughs> in the trailer alone, seeing the technology catch up within that world was excellent. So now I'm like, cool. How are? Because I mean, back then, cell phones were like the leading edge. Now we got smartphones. Yeah. And then, you know, and we have these characters where it's like. Are they starting over? But this is this is still in the original continuity and world of the original trilogy, so it, it's it's like a reboot slash sequel Not hybrid. And I'm wondering how this experiment's going to play out. You know. Not only that, the, from what the trailers and the other stuff that I'm reading about this, it's making it seem like they're actually going to call into question whether or not the first movie just was happening inside. Keanu Reeves's head, which is going to add a, another whole layer yeah. of like philosophical craziness on top of this. But that's what I like. I think if you are going to come at your sequel from a decent angle, Aliens does the best job of this, I think, because it comes 
at a sequel from a completely different angle than anyone would expect. And I think that's kind of what you want to be doing. Um, But again, there is some stuff that I don't mind being remade over and over again. Like the Adams family is going to go into Netflix with it's like fourth remake. And I really, that doesn't like, I'm fine with that. Like there's some things that, that don't need to be, in a time capsule and they just need to be refreshed every now and again because there are some concepts that are just so versatile and malleable that like they can withstand different kind of imaginings and things like yeah. that it also helps that the adams family the the animation uh the, they they absolutely nailed the cast if you ask me oh. um so oscar isaac and Charlize theron like i'm all for that uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is Wednesday. I love that. Snoop Dogg as Cousin It. Like, I'm all about that. <laughs> they nailed that effing cast. Yeah, I mean, and the, the formula works for Scooby-Doo, too, because I think yeah. Scoob was an excellent movie. I enjoyed the heck out of that. One final thing. One thing I'm going to bring up here is, so with the reboots or remakes, do you think some of this is coming down to the fact that the studios are really worried about doing something that might upset the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> um, so they're trying to play safe and they don't want it. They want to do stuff that's been out before. That is because an there's a, a billion, $10 billion market they don't want to get cut out of because somebody mentioned Taiwan. That is an interesting question because you've seen, I think you've seen that with a lot of MCU movies where they have to ch- literally change whole plot points around. But this is the 21st century. They can have different cuts for different movies. I mean, right. for different areas, right? So if they, they can mention Taiwan in one version, but not in another version, um, it doesn't matter. If you're in China, you're not going to see any non-Chinese versions anyway. True. So. <laughs> but I, but do you I think do... that drives their, drives their thinking of, of being, so, being risk averse? I think it just, does. Business just in general is risk averse. Business people, I think, are taught to maximize profit with the least amount of risk. And that's what you can see in every area. And um, even though even when being that risk averse is actually dangerous to the thing that you're trying to sell. Like like I said in other podcasts, so much of artistic media is now controlled by business people as opposed to art people or or people oh, that they, kind the, of go down the spreadsheet checking off right, the, right, right, uh, right. the spreadsheet checkers yeah um i i hate to bring the jock into the room again but i'm gonna i'm gonna make a one-to-one parallel point with what james just said um two years ago daryl morey who is now the general manager of the philadelphia 76ers then he was the general manager of the houston rockets said in China, while the Houston Rockets were playing a game, he mentioned uh, free Taiwan. Adam Sandler and the NBA higher up Adam Silver. Adam, Adam Silver, I'm sorry, went into he went into full on desperation damage control because exactly what James was saying. They have an entire they have a ten billion dollar market in china that they do not want to f up under any circumstances and i think james definitely hit on a nice point there but i don't think that necessarily ties into reboot culture because 
Um, it, it, it ties into I don't know IP that, a little bit because a they little have, bit, but I don't I don't know that China that the Chinese have any particular feelings about why a certain IP should be favored over another. So, like okay. I don't, I don't it's been accepted this. in the past. So they've got it right, okay, the Chinese okay. sensors. I got you. I got you. You know, the, the movies available in stores there kind of thing. So if we just do that this makes sense. and we use the latest stars, we don't have to worry about that are people going to get upset about it. That's right. an interesting point. Um I, I think it's just a benefit. I think it's just an added benefit on top of everything that you get when you use an established IP and just throw a bunch of money at it and a bunch of names at it and put it out. My final point on this is, and this is also tied back to the businesses being risk averse. Do you think that's a worry about them spending money on something that they don't own? So if I go out mm. and I find something written by a new author who's up and coming, she's written the next, you know, Twilight series or the next Harry Potter or whatever. And the studio is going, if this gets big, we're going to have to pay her a billion dollars over the, the, the contract of this. Whereas if we use something we've already got, zero outlay from us. We're, we're using people who are contract for hire. So we just pay them a salary we don't have to spend any extra money. Yeah, but remember, studios don't exist in a vacuum. So if you don't buy that, someone Somebody will. Somebody else will. And then whatever you're doing is going to feel like it's just a rehash or a, a, a watered-down version of the thing that is the popular thing. But with so few studios, do you think that's still still valid? I mean, I think we, it's still valid. like you can, three left now. If you think of the big studios... I can see why you would think that way, but if you think of TV and streaming, yeah. like they they are buying everything, and literally, if you pass up, if you're Netflix and you pass on this, like Hulu's going to buy it, or HBO is going to buy it, or somebody's going to buy it and make it their thing. Case in point, like Rick and Morty is immensely popular, and when Justin Roiland came out with Solar Opposites, there was a huge dash to get the next Justin Roiland thing. Like Netflix wanted it, yeah. Hulu wanted it, Amazon wanted it. And like because because of the name of Justin Roiland and because of how popular he was with the Rick and Morty fan base, like anything new from Justin Roiland or Robert Kirkman, like those like the bigger names are gonna yeah. be like, oh shit, we gotta have it, we gotta have it. But you're saying like if you if you owned the rights to let's say interview of a interview with a vampire and you saw twilight was big and you tried to make your new interview oh, okay. with a vampire movies look more like twilight so that you could benefit from it without actually having to pay for it yeah that's what oh, you that's, meant james uh, no i was thinking actually buying unique properties and the cost oh. of the studios versus you know there could be the next this could be the next twilight but i've got like i said i've got vampire i've got interview with a vampire We'll remake that and not buy new right. properties. Right, right, right. Um, and yes, I think, you know, of course they're going to want to jump on and try to maximize what they can do with what they have in-house. But again, in that case, I think you would have to be worried about somebody going and buying the actual yeah. property. This is how you get uh, twinsies. This is how you get an <laughs> Armageddon and a Deep Impact in the same year. Right. This is, oh how, my God. This is how that happens. Like, because yeah. somebody hears about something that's out there that's hot, and they're like, "Oh, well, let's hurry up and get these guys to write our own version of it." Um, 
and get it out before theirs so they'll look like they're copying us. Does this mean another studio is going to do the Tomorrow War? Oh, God. <laughs> I still have to see that. I've heard it's very good, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, but wait a minute, is, is The Tomorrow War not just that movie with Tom Cruise where he goes back in time and fights the same day over and over again? Oh no, that's um, depending on whether it's the theater release or the Blu-ray, mm. The Edge of Tomorrow or mm -hmm. Live, Repeat, Die, The Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but are those Which, concepts similar or no? No, no. Okay. Um, no, and live, Repeat, off Die was a a rounded movie that actually had a, a plot and the tomorrow war was a i think just yeah, a special effects budget uh and they just stuck some scenes together my friend and i heidi who's been on the podcast and who we watch movies who i watch movies with every friday um we try we're now trying to find themes for what we're watching and once we get done watching all the halloween movies we're gonna do twinsies and i oh can't wait <laughs> You should do Tom Cruise. Yeah. That's a very interesting catalog of movies. Now, with all this reboot and sequel, with all of that coming out, like, do, do we think there's enough room for new IP? I, I, I feel like yeah. yes. because, because of the stream, and like for me, as, because of the streaming services and everything that's available where you can put IP, I don't, well, now I don't think there's, I, I think there's plenty of room. Just because of the outlets that are available. There is room. And to that, the second part of this question was, can, can you name something that is that you found to be particularly strong, especially like for nerd culture in the last like three to five years? Damn, you said three to five years. So I was going to say the Fast and the Furious franchise, but I guess not. It's not a nerd movie, dude. <laughs> it's um, its own thing. <laughs> for the, the Expanse, for All Mankind. Oh, 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 oh. The Expanse. Oh, how did I forget? My favorite show. That last episode of The Expanse, the whole rescue thing. Yeah. I was in tears. That yeah. just killed me. Yeah. It was it was a little bit jarring when Cass Anwar had to go back to his home planet like Poochie. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, who? I, I, I've never heard of that character. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is that? Um, but yes, the experience. I met they... him twice at cons. Did he grab I... your ass? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what the hell just happened? He was really wow. charming and nice, and then you read all this stuff, and you're like, "Oh dear." We went, we went from the expanse to grab an ass like that. Just that's just fantastic. <laughs> Jesus. Um, the expanse is a great one. Um, uh, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to not say Stranger Things. Oh, just because of like it, it taps into the '80s nostalgia very well. The set pieces are done exceptionally. It, it captures the spirit of the early mid 1980s in a way that hasn't been done in a long effing time. And the the cast is fantastic. I love the story behind it. I love the integration of so much nerd culture between the arcades and the fact that Finn Wolfhard and his friends they're all about Dungeons and Dragons. Like it's all relatable stuff that I was really into as a teenager and 
putting it into that world along with a really really solid horror element i i will admit season three was not the strongest i i have mixed expectation for season four the adding the russian element like i get it it's a story set in the 1980s so it's easy to do something like that but don't 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 bend too hard into the cold war is all i'm saying i think it strikes the right balance between uh referencing and pandering that a lot of things just don't no really get the balance right ready Um, player one anyone oh my god (laughs) <laughs> it's so hard the mo- it's I get really hard i get what everybody's saying with the movie i love the book though i'm mm-hmm. sorry really <laughs> it's it's the way i feel about the hunt for october in the movie and the book <laughs> i love them in separate boxes i love them for what <laughs> they are and and let me qualify this with the red october the hunt for red october the movie and the book have uh, a special sentimental thing with me and my dad that I won't go into, which is why I love the book and the movie. Uh-huh. But we should but mention the, we should mention that Vince is a Navy man. Vince yeah, is I, like I, a third generation Navy man. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Oh. Those quits. But um, but yeah, and but if if I hadn't read the book, I think I would have loved Ready Player One the movie. But reading the book and literally, it is like he vomited everything I loved about my childhood into that book into a story i'm not saying it's the greatest story or the greatest book ever written but in a story that was written well enough to hold my attention and for me to buy into yeah you know um i appreciate that and it was it was a little bit disappointing i understand why they did the movie the way they did i was just happy to see a gundam if i couldn't get voltron i was happy to see a gundam and some other properties (laughs) you know but but the the that battle in the book is so epic. Yeah. <laughs> it would have cost a lot of money to license all those properties to get it into that. True. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, by all accounts, Ready Player True is trash. So, I mean, I mean, yeah. Uh, I had, I, I had an honorable mention. I was going to say either Archer or Bob's Burgers, but I kind of feel like they blend into each other. Oh, Archer! I, I love you know, Bob's Burgers so much. True story. <laughs> Aisha Tyler did a why she did a I think it's out online as well now she did a um she did a monologue about why she was a gamer absolutely fantastic I, yeah I've seen it brought, brought me to tears when she got to the bit about how she spent her her bus money playing Gallagher I am like this woman and I been there yeah know yeah. exactly what where she's coming from in, in love with her only woman I probably leave my wife for skipping lunch so that you could have extra money to go to the arcade with yeah right i was like yeah i'm there well i mean okay on, on that for those of you have you guys seen cobra kai and what do you think of that yes cobra kai actually so it's not a totally original ip but it's absolutely the right way to re reintroduce an older franchise yes I think what it's the way it's able to connect the old with the new and make you have feelings for each in separate ways, I think is a pretty remarkable achievement. Now, I don't, I don't know what happens when we go into this next season and we get deep into the lore of Karate Kid 3, which is not a great movie. But, uh, how which, dare by you? The way, are, wait, is Hillary Swank showing up? How deep are they going to go? 
<laughs> Bro. <laughs> okay. I would just I'll like tell, to, I'll, I'll, just, I'll tell you this though. That, I would just that, like to that, say that series did did lead into my daughter wanting to check out the original movies, and she she loved them. So I would just like to say, Teves, nobody knows what the hell you're talking about because nobody nobody understands that Hillary Swank was in a Karate Kid movie because Hillary Swank was the next Karate Kid. How do you not know? The that? next, the I'm next. next. I don't watch the next Karate Kid for <laughs> Hillary Swank, but if Michael Ironside shows up, I'm in. Thousand percent. <laughs> all I need to see is that Michael Ironsides is in it, and I mean, for all mankind, um, on all Apple mankind. TV. That's another good one. Oh, that fantastic! If anybody hasn't watched it, it's a reimagining of the space race. If the Russians landed first in nineteen sixty nine, yeah. and what happens to the U.S. space program? It's a great parallel. Whoever he only appears basically in voice a few times in it, like voiceovers of um, Richard Nixon. <laughs> there, there is a from everything I've read about Nixon. I love American history, by the way. Everything I read about Nixon, there's a couple of points when Nixon's they have like recordings if he was talking on the phone. I feel that they have managed to capture the spirit of Nixon in these two or three conversations. I'm like, just beautiful. The, the series is well thought out. And I think it's really good. There were some weak ones in the second season, but overall, it's been very solid. Really quick. Sorry, I got to go on a quick tangent. James, how do you feel? Have you ever seen the Oliver Stone film, Nixon? I have not. I have oh watched my God. parts of it. Okay, stop what you're it. doing. Stop what you're doing right now. Actually, don't, because you're recording this podcast. Yeah. But as soon as you're done, find a way to watch that movie. <laughs> Just as long as you don't watch JFK on top of it, just don't do that. It's just part of the trilogy, man. There's no trilogy. There there's is no, a trilogy. No, there's not. There is not. There's no Nixon. There's no JFK. There's, there's no JFK, Nixon. Oh, my and God. He hasn't made the third movie yet. It's fine. Nobody's I, I, making I, I, a movie about Gerald Ford, Atiba. <laughs> Which JFK I, the revenge. Which I feel is which I feel is a shame. I think that America's most mediocre man should should have a movie made about him. People are really pounding the soapbox for that great Gerald Ford movie. <laughs> I now I I I can't really think of any. I'm banging my head against the wall. I had I can't really think of anything new. New. I think out of comic books, I would say Saga. Saga's great. I would say Saga's a good one. Um, I had high hopes for Valerian. That makes me feel sad. Yeah. It had a beautiful look to it. Not a lot of new video game IP either, so it's like, it's it's really hard to come up with stuff, because a lot of it is like sequels and just like uh, the the next iteration of like the first person shooter. Although I will say Overwatch is really fucking good. No, what's the Indiana Jones one? I can I can never remember the title. The Indiana Jones. Indiana one. Jones video video game? game. Yeah. Um, oh, Uncharted. Uncharted was a great. Property. Uncharted was a good one. Yeah. yeah. What about uh... the Last of Us? Is also pretty good. Just a real bummer, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, I I we have covered a lot of new IP, so like if like there's a lot of like. If you're on the lookout for new IP, it's there. You don't have to look that hard. What about yeah, modifications I... to existing IP, like um, the Batman the White Knight series? Yeah, maybe. 
I that think that could qualify. I, I think to Kid Phoenix's last point, you're right, dude. Go to the bookstore. Go to that. The, going back to even the first, well, the first or second, first couple of questions, we're at a point where there's enough for everybody. If you're into something, if it's cooking anime, it's out there. <laughs> it's there. You know what I mean? So just, yeah, yeah. Go, just, just go check it out. Pokemon yeah, versus Yu-Gi-Oh! It's there. <laughs> my advice would be go to the image shelf and just start from one end of image comics and just work your way through. Yes. Honestly, the number of, Ooh. this is the crazy thing. The number of image books that I've read that I have gone, uh, I didn't like that is absolutely minimal. I, they have a really good eye for picking properties that work and, and really oddly bizarrely diverse properties as well. I, the majority of the image catalog I've enjoyed. I'm pretty sure the only image books you didn't like were the ones picked by me. <laughs> Actually, I Moonshine don't... and Ice Cream Man. <laughs> I like the, I like both of those. If, um, I could do a, if I could do a PSA, um, go to your public library. Yeah, they got, all, they got the old and the new, and you know the librarians—they're—they're—they're they're, they're part of our family, our nerd family. I promise you, they'll have something True. to recommend <laughs> for you if you just go ahead and ask. Unless you're in the New York Public Library and it's the basement, then don't really mess with that library. Right. No, <laughs> definitely don't okay. yell. Don't yell, get her. All <laughs> right, <laughs> that was your plan. we are now in a different era it's a different age different generation so these these next generations of fandom like what are they going to look like who are they going to look like why do they look the way that they are sorry i'm doing my malcolm gladwell bit again i'm sorry if I can start off, and this is kind of my my bit as a as an old man, an old nerd. <laughs> um, this fandom, I like to give them crap because they have it easy. Everything's accessible to them. Oh God! Um, and it, and this is my this is my when I was a kid, I walked to school five miles, you know, both times uphill. Story, and this is my get off the lawn thing. Especially, I lived in a paper bag, blowing down, down the street. There you go. And this is specifically to anime fans they used to be called otakus apparently they're called weebs now whatever i'm old i'm not hip to that but they have it so good with streaming and accessibility and all this stuff and i love to tell them when i was your age i used to get a pirate of a pirate of a pirate vhs <laughs> tape it wasn't translated it's gone through many hands half of us can afford you know the double decker vhs you know, yeah player. so right. we hooked up two to dub it I went on pilgrimages to, to LA to find anime shops. And this is before the internet. So we had a map right. and like a, a newspaper uh. ad and hope to find a comic shop. Yeah. So oh, you yeah. have it so easy. So, you know, enjoy your privilege. You didn't have to get your Dragon Ball from a guy with greasy hair and a weird <laughs> smell out of his trench coat. Um, James. Well, you ask, what does the next generation of fandom look like? I'd say just go to Comic-Con or WonderCon and look at the people that are there. The next generation is, is literally already there and is already packing the place out. And this is, you know, it's kind of funny going to these cons, as you can probably guess, I'm an aging white man, and being the minority. Oh, yeah. They, it's, 
the the next generation of fandom is is already in place it knows the stuff that it's likes and it is is just eating up the the um the content that's available and as vin said it's it is available it's easy to get at it's it's accessible and there's so much variation i mean if you to a large extent if you steer away from the mainstream there is so many just niche comics and niche material you can yeah. find go to artist alley go to the small press and there is just anything you can think of and it it's great for the medium and for the experience and it's great that that kids are finding this stuff the younger generation is finding this stuff i mean the stuff that i sell personally my my own video game related stuff what i find is just mind-blowing is that i have guys and it's usually guys unfortunately in their 20s there's occasional women involved but um in their 20s who are interested in old games and getting old games running and playing this this with this old game hardware and stuff and it's like these games are like 15 years older than you are (laughs) (laughs) and that because i think because of the accessibility issue people are finding it and it's it's fascinating to watch and it's the fact that we've seen the growth of these cons as well means there is another generation coming up it's it's not just the old guys with a box of of, uh, marvel from 1967 (laughs) so i will use one word to my answer and then expand on it uh the word i will say is inclusive and it piggybacks on something james said this new generation they are they are socially conscious they are accepting they are inclusive as much as they can be they have this mindset of there is something for everybody there's something for every gender every class every creed every sexual orientation there's stuff for like if you're if you're sex positive, there's stuff for you. If you're uh, part of the LGBTQIA plus community, there's something for you. There are niche materials for everything and everyone. And you couldn't really say that a generation or two ago. When I look back on what was available at my comic book shop to when I go to Fat Jacks or Atomic City or something like that now, it's like a whole section of things for specific niche groups that weren't there before and you could see people that didn't even fit that niche go and pick up some of these comics and look at them and say hey it's not necessarily written for me but damn it it's a good book and like the fans of those books will be like oh that's cool that you're into the material that was basically made by us and like Welcome to our family, you know? Um, There are whole, there's an entire, there's an African-American comic book shop in Philadelphia, and it specializes in black comics. That was not a thing a generation ago. But at the same time, you see all walks of life going into this comic book store and just reading all the different stories written, drawn, imagined by African-American comic book writers. And it's just, it's one big happy family. And it's like not anything I've ever seen before. 
and I think that's the big thing. And going up to the convention point, cosplay is a huge thing with conventions. There are some things that are like taboo. Don't get me wrong. Like, don't be going to a con in blackface. But for the most part, like, if you're a, if you're if you're a black kid that's into like Marvel, there's something for you. You want to be black after America? You go ahead and you go right ahead and do it. You want to be a, you want to dress up as a male Harley Quinn? You go ahead and do it. Like rock that shit. You go right ahead, and nobody bats an eye. And I think that's something that I really enjoy about this generation: the fact that like you can express yourself however you want to with whatever group that you want to, and if you're part of a group like, for example, Harley Quinn fans, then you want to rock a male Harley Quinn? Fucking rock that shit out. You go for it. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that you guys went all, you know, kumbaya and high <laughs> ideal. But here we go. And here comes teams to take a giant Every, shit everybody, on just, our everybody just calm down now. Just calm down. <laughs> I actually asked this. This was my question, and I actually asked it from a more cynical place, <laughs> because me and Vince go to conventions, and we sit at artist alley tables. We we do small press, and really, what I was asking is, what is the stuff I need to be doing to make sure that I can still make money after all the Transformers nerds are gone? <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I really believe this, people, if you're selling prints, for example, people will gravitate towards like shit that looks good, shit that appeals to them, they'll go for it. Um, when it comes to like stories, shit that's interesting, they'll, ro- they'll look for it, they'll run to it, they'll figure out where the hell it is. Okay, so I don't think you have any problems with that. I was gonna say, t- tabling next to Atiba, I- I've had this new strategy, or you know, because of course we we're artists, we sell prints, we want to take advantage of what's what's trending or what's you know hype at the moment. Yeah, and and for the most part, that's stuff we enjoy anyway. You know, we're fans of those characters anyway. What I want to start doing, and I will be perfectly honest, it stemmed from this conversation is, you know, I'm going to do my prints of, you know, X-Men, Captain America and stuff. And I'll slide in some, some prints or artwork or content of stuff that I like that maybe not, you know, be necessarily hot at that moment. Right. But, but Ulysses your, 31, for example. Hey, you know what? <laughs> hey, how dare you, first of all. But, Damn. no, but, but no, but, but exactly. Like, um, to, to Kid Phoenix's point, it's, they people will gravitate to cool looking stuff period even if they don't know what it is so if i draw you in with like a cool like you know wolverine print and then you see like something i'm gonna go obscure on here you see like this anime character and you just happen to be into anime too and you see my print of a megazone 23 character megazone 23 character and you're like oh what's this from right here's my gateway into bringing you into something i like what the next generation of fandom looks like too, as other than having access to everything that they might be interested or love, is I like this trend of creators empowering future creators. Yes. I like seeing my my artist alley, small press, you know, popular press, what have you, even the big names at, at panels, encouraging young people, 
it, it's it's it goes back to like if you hate the stuff that's that's crapping on what you like make your own thing yeah. you know at the very at the very basic you know at the very minimum if you hate that freaking he-man cartoon go fanfic your your heart's content <laughs> and get it out of your system but with, with platforms like webtoons getting your own website is more accessible social media the new generation of fans are empowered to become creators themselves and and i think that's that's a very um hopeful yeah. and positive thing for for our culture you know if i can just speak to something you said there atiba i think there's a difference between the economics of the market and the content that's available and i i think maybe the, the cynical side is there's a lot more fans who are a lot more interested in the big names that are already there and aren't you know that the niche stuff remains niche because it's not attracting the huge the huge fandom and i think while you know the the, the diversity of what's available increases the necessarily the economics of it remain somewhat reduced because there's still a billion dollars going into marvel etc right right that was that was kind of what i was thinking like i know there's a lot of artists that i know personally that um make their living doing nothing but star wars stuff. that's all yeah. they do and star wars is a big enough name that they can specialize in that one thing and that can and they can eat off of that in the future is that going to go away and just become totally dispersed into these you know smaller niche fandom or is there going to be another you know property that's like is is everybody going to be eating off of avatar in 20 years rather than star wars or is everybody going to be eating off of cora or or something like that i think it depends on the economics yeah yeah Yeah. i i also feel like it's everything comes in waves everything comes in trends so those those Star Wars people that are uh, they're they're always going to eat up Star Wars content. Doesn't matter. It could right, be. But I'm saying, but I'm saying the major audience for Star Wars is not necessarily getting younger, and the younger people don't necessarily have the appetite for it. That say I hear what you're current saying. Audience don't. I hear what you're saying. There's this. There's this. Like, sense like of, I don't know. I don't know if there's any people left that are going to pay. Four or five hundred dollars for Star Wars paintings, like you got fans now that do. People just maybe aren't going to care that much. I can see that point, but at speaking to the economics, like if there's something that's worth money, like people are going to pay for it and they're going to want to see it increase in value. So I don't think, I don't think that's a huge issue. Listen, nobody is not going to want to buy the first appearance of Superman. Like that's not a thing that's going to happen. Like somebody out there is going to want to pay 10 million dollars for that comic. Oh, no. It could be the year t- it could be the year 3000 and there could be nothing but cockroaches and Honda Civics and still somebody's <laughs> going to want that damn comic book. I, I don't I don't know. I think I think I'll speak for myself, Teebs, but <laughs> I'm, a, I'm I think I consider myself a fairly open-minded individual where I do I'm not saying that I'm into everything that's coming out, you know, or I'm hip to to what the kids are watching or consuming. But that being said, I I feel like I have my my interests open enough to where I can I can kind of 
go along for the ride of what's trending with the younger and current generation. We see this with every generation because we think it's just us because we're currently living with, with it. But nostalgia is a big thing. Everybody looks so fondly on their childhoods. There's always gonna, you're always going to have your foot in that old era. Case in point, just like at fashion right now, it's like clueless all over again. Yeah. You know? So I don't think we'll ever be in danger of like kids getting sick of or not being a kid to or being able to access what we're into or what we consider part of our nostalgia because it's in the same way that people like old trek yeah you, you know what i mean there's there's always going to be a place for it so i don't think we're gonna ever have the the danger of going extinct or fading away i think it's always going to be there but you know james you are right there's such a proliferation of content you're swimming in a sea of it, as especially as an independent artist. How do you stand out? Yeah. You know, how do you differentiate yourself from the pack? But that's always been the case. And let's, let's be real. You know, it's just in a different context with the times we live in. But that's always been the case, and that will forever be the case. That that's just an ongoing battle, you know, between good and evil. And I don't know how many people do this, but I search new comic projects on like Kickstarter and um What's the other one? Go find me. Go find me. Yeah. And and look for, you know, look specifically look for content. Um, and some of the create one of the creators I like, Eric Borden, who did uh, Scrimshaw and uh, Lead City, uh, he publishes his stuff uh, through there uh, and uh, uh, Alterna Comics as well. And um, I like his writing, I like the artist he picks, and that's, and he might be kind of niche. <laughs> he's not, not hitting the hitting the mainstream unfortunately but you know i like his work and there's there's other folks on there as well that that you can find i can i can say that i've heard many interview and seen and heard podcasts where i hear that more and more often that people i think the last time one or one time that comes uh, to mind is the penny arcade guys where somebody oh, asked yeah. him like where, where, where do you find like where do you find new games where do you find new whatevers and a lot of the time i'll hear people say Kickstarter, yeah, whatever's being crowdfunded yeah. is, is where I look for new stuff because A, you're getting the unfiltered creator's vision because that's what people are funding. So they obviously want that and you're not getting, you're not having to go through the filter of a publisher and yeah. you know, you, you get what I'm saying? So that seems to be the trend now is exactly what James said. Like people are going through crowdfunded properties to find out what's new and high. All right. So I think we should move on to the last question. <laughs> As I said previously, it is currently September 18th, 2021. We are still in the grips of the COVID-19 pandemic. And fucking COVID. I am just trying to, I'm trying to envision what the future of band conventions might look like. Like what is what effect is this pandemic going to have when any of the convention scenes or anything that happens at the conventions or anything? Uh, Vince was most recently at a convention last weekend. Maybe you could speak to this. When I went to, for the most part, Paracon, that, that's the convention I, I last tabled at. Um, people were very respectful about social distancing and wearing the masks. Um, there weren't too many people. I mean, you saw the one or two folks that were just determined not to having anything on their faces. Um, Stop oppressing um, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, amazingly, some a few of the cosplayers adjusted to it 
Like um, there was a Shira that she fashioned a mask that actually matched her costume. So even having a mask <laughs> That's actually awesome. complemented. Yeah, exactly. So people adjusted to it well. For me personally, and I, I'm, I'm a fan of this trends thing because I like the limited attendance, the even more limited attendance. I'm, I'm sick of the sardine can that, you know, San Diego Comic-Con has become. Yeah. So you think there will actually be a move towards limiting attendance? I think, well, at least as far as this thing keeps going and I don't see any end to it in the near future, politics aside, we've all had cod cred at one point or another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to see that kind of social um, drift towards, to put it frankly, like what they do in, in Asian countries. During the during a, a season of illness, everyone wears a mask. If you're sick, wear a mask. If you're scared of getting sick, wear a mask. Right. There's no need for people to be on top of each other, you know, all the time. But on a personal level, I'm doing these conventions because I need it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an independent artist. I want my stuff out there. I want to meet people. You know, I, I need that that kind of energy to keep creating, and that that's kind of like the need. But on the anxiety level, if I didn't oh, yeah. feel that need, there's no way I'd be attending. I'm like, I'll be frank. There's, I'm not ready for it. And I'm not worried for myself. I'm worried about the ones that don't care. I definitely concur with everything that Vince just said. Like, because when the pandemic first started, there was a time where, uh, and Teeves can attest to this, I didn't want to get on an airplane to even come out and see my brother. Like, no effing way. I'm not doing that. Uh, when it comes to conventions, I have not been to a major convention yet, but I frequent two conventions because they're the most fun for me. San Diego Comic-Con, when I can get a ticket, and New York Comic-Con. Those are the two biggest on either coast. New York Con was canceled all of last year. They're doing it this year, and that is a full-on convention. I did not see anything about limited numbers. Uh, you can still you can still buy a ticket if you want to get there, but I didn't see anything that was like, oh, we had to reduce the amount of tickets for attendees. I think that's going to be one of the first larger t- uh, tests. That's not to discredit all of the smaller ones that are going on, but New York Con is one of the larger ones. You're talking about 25, 30,000 people. So that's going to be the first real big test of conventions or during COVID, I should say. And I think that's going to be the litmus test, or at least it should be the litmus test for how everybody does it going forward. I agree with Vince that you, for at least the next few years, three to five years, you cannot, you cannot do the sardine can thing. You just can't do it. It, there's not enough space there's a not enough room for people to feel comfortable. And I know there are people that are going to be like, oh, well, you don't have you have high exa- you have high anxiety. F it. I'll just take your ticket. I mean, first of all, it's kind of a dick thing to say. But secondly, like I feel like CCI and Reed Pop and whoever's thrown on the stuff like Wizard World, Dragon Con, whatever, I think they really have to think about not just this year, but they have to think about the next three to five years because we don't know what's going to happen, especially in the United States with the politics the way they are. I'm sorry, but if I know I'm at a convention where there are a whole, mo- there are a whole bunch of motherfuckers coming from the South, 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to be nervous as hell. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. If I know there are nerds coming from Texas and Florida and, and Alabama, Mississippi, all like that. No, fuck that. I don't want to be near those. I don't want to be near those people. So I think it should be. I think the numbers should be limited. I don't think they're going to be limited because, for example, CCI is a nonprofit, so they got to make their money, which is fine. But I'm not going to be totally comfortable going in there without a mask. Like I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, but I, you know, I, there's only so much confidence I can put in the stuff. I can't troll the intelligence or idiocy of others. And I'm just, I don't know if I'm at that point where I'm just like, okay, I'm down to take that risk to do something that I really love and enjoy and something that I've missed over the last year and a half. I'm going to follow on from what Kid Phoenix said there. And I'm going to go one stage further and say, you got to show vaccination proof to get in the damn con. I don't yes. give a shit about your religious exemption. Tell you what, you be in a uh, fucking ER with asthma three times. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, see how you feel about, you know, your rights. You know what? Die of fucking smallpox. It, it's uh, bad enough we got to deal with fucking con flu, okay? You're telling me I got to right. deal with con flu exactly. and COVID? F that. Exactly. I, I guess I'm a little bit more on the extreme side of, you know, I'm totally with you. I'm, I'm down with limiting the con limiting the attendance. I think that that's also a good idea. I think masks should be mandatory. Yes. Uh, I think if you if you do shit like take your mask off, I want one of those really big guys, you know, the really big guys to throw your freaking ass out on the street. Yeah. And get put in a kick while you're at it because um you're fucking stupid unless you're taking your mask off to eat a 12 dollars hot dog leave that bitch on that's what i'm <laughs> right. saying and and the next side of it is i mean because let's face the other side there's the vendors the pe there's the people like vince that you know they're going there because it's their income it's they their need job. this it's they it's what they do and you look at I, I've, I follow Adam Savage on Instagram and he's been attending cons and they have he has screens up. He wears a mask. Everybody in his pictures are wearing masks. They're, they're pretty they're serious about it. And I think it's not that big a deal. It's really to not. wear, you know, to take precautions, wear a mask, do these things, be respectful of the people who are running this and the, the, the people, the vendors. The, and the other con attendees it's not that hard to do and like you said it's it's become some bizarre political issue i mean it's not just the us the uk has the same bullshit and i personally don't get it because it's like so if this was polio is was still yeah. a thing or smallpox you'd be happy of dying of smallpox because you know my rights or some shit well anyway. the joke i have with my friends is could you imagine if they tried to pass the seatbelt law in this day and age? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I think that the one way you are going to be able to, to help the problem is the lower attendance. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my partner in crime, she is really, she's not comfortable going to cons yet. I'm probably, well, if I can get tickets, I'll yeah. go to the, the, the this year's Comic-Con because I physically need to go to a con. <laughs> she she is uh she is very much on the fence um you know she's vaccinated but she's worried about 
you know, the, the overall state of things. And yeah, I, un I understand that. And I think a lot of people are in that point. I, I have some other nerdy friends who are of the opinion of, I just, I'm just not going to go. I, you know, I don't feel in that position. Yeah. So I think in, in some ways it might be kind of a self-regulating thing of this. You could get lower attendance and this is probably the worst one of, I think you could also reduce attendance. If you said, look, we're letting in half the people, we're going to double the ticket price. I I'm in a position that I could, I could have probably afford that. Uh, but I know there's a lot of people who couldn't. So that one yeah. might be rather an unfair statement. Me and Vince don't have to pay to get into that show anyway. So. All right. <laughs> so here, here's a question that I have for the panel. Uh, we're talking about one of the bigger ways to kind of ease everybody's fears is limit the attendance. So for the larger ones, like not, not necessarily the smaller ones like PowerCon or anything like that, but like... Actually, sorry, before you make this point, let me just ask, do you think there's going to be more of a movement away from mega shows towards... Vince was at PowerCon, which is a He-Man Masters of the Universe focused convention. Do you think there's going to be a move more towards smaller, more focused convention? I think that was already starting to happen, but do you think COVID might have accelerated that process? I think that you're going to have a little bit of both, and I'll explain why. Because um, DragonCon is already a huge anime convention. Like anything, any small anime convention thing like that's fine but everybody's still gonna gravitate towards dragon con but what i think needs to happen is the mega cons right i think there should be beginning of the year and end of the year have a con in like january february have that amount of attendance and then come back like october november and have another one because at that point you're still getting a bunch of content you're still making a bunch of money but you're limiting the amount of people that are there. Again, going back to that point, um, you're going back to limiting the amount of people that are in there, but yet you're still having kind of the experience. It, it's not the huge megacon from like years and years ago prior to COVID. I think that's something that needs to be at least contemplated. I think CCI is actually testing out that theory with this special edition to see if they can actually get away with doing two cons a year. I'm down with the two cons. I, I think the approach of, of <laughs> doing it in two, two parts. I mean, you also might, it might also make sense from a, from an accessibility point of view of some of the people who will come to the earlier con, maybe couldn't get tickets to the later one. Yes. And you would have hopefully more fans coming, coming in, which may be a good or a bad thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, on top of that, I mean, you're talking about, you guys are talking about seasonal. That gives the our studios, publishers, what have you, seasonally what they're going to release, uh -huh. what they're going to premiere. That's even more opportunity for them to publicize whatever they're trying to get out in the world. And so I think it's a win for every, I am so down with that idea of it. Like you said, if you can't make one, you can make the other. It's not a mad rush. I, in, in this scenario, I kind of feel like everybody wins. Wouldn't that be yeah, great you know going I mean? to a con for the, the summer movie blockbuster and then you go to the next one and you've got whatever their winter schedule is. Yeah, and, and it can be themed or whatever. And I, I know Comic-Con's kind of going down this road anyway with Comic-Con Museum. And you, you, you are right. You're seeing a lot of these more niche conventions pop up. 
And I think it is part of the MegaCon event fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. People are, people or, or are not, not, of, yeah. Not so much but, fatigue, but like the, the you know, I, I'm locked. I try to get tickets for a CCI every year and I can never get in. So right. let me just go to uh, Anime Kanji or let me just go to LA Con or let me just go to something smaller like Comic Con Revolution in Ontario. Like, well, yeah, well, like, like Zachary Levi's or Levy's, I don't know how to say his last name, his, his NerdCon, Nerd HQ, the, the Thorn and Comic Con side, you know, yeah. as much as Comic Con hates that. It, it it does a lot for the San Diego business because That's the people true. that couldn't get tickets have at least that. You yeah. know what I mean? And to be quite honest, I think Comic-Con gets a little bit of bleed over from that anyway. It makes Comic-Con look good despite they're not affiliated with each other anyway. And Comic-Con can say, you know, they're poaching our guests and this and that. And they're kind of, they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, you, you know, riding on our coattails. That being said, they're also helping you out. To be yeah. honest, they're, they're keeping the crowd there. And wh- whether it's, you know, people don't care if it's official or not, they're still associating that Nerd HQ with San Diego Comic Con, you know? So I, I know it's, it's kind of a thin line to walk in, it's a double edged sword. For me, especially, it goes back to the point with the proliferation of all the stuff that's out there. I don't, I don't, I don't see how it would be a bad thing to have at least more than one, to at least have a, a, a summer winter. You yeah, Comic Con or or event, what have you? I, I would love that so much. Just the dual opportunity to you know go out to San Diego and partake in nerd stuff like twice a year or once, depending on when I get tickets. And you know, call Teeth an asshole in person, but you know that's just yeah. other other happy benefits. <laughs> I could well, do I, two costumes a year. Yeah. Oh <laughs> man! Yeah, well, yeah exactly. I didn't even think about that. Well, and not even that. I'm sure the San Diego businesses would be so into that. Oh yeah, you know what no I mean. That, as a as a San Diego taxpayer, the tax revenue would definitely be welcome. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, any any city that holds that kind of a thing, you yeah. can't hate the revenue that they would generate. You know, yeah. nerds nerds. It's, I think it's been proven. Nerds like to spend money. <laughs> if you're if you're in a big city like even you know even like New York. Why why can't you do this twice a year? Like you're only the biggest city on fucking planet earth I, I don't get it like la another city that should just do that chicago another city that should just do that i keep going back it's just, it just makes so much sense and that's why it's not going to happen and that pisses but, me off okay but is not the fact that sdcc only happens once a year not part of the thing that makes it special no, I I think what makes it special to me is that the simple fact that it's like it's it's the big con. The fact that I'm going to the con because yeah. no other convention can call itself the con, and universally people know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think I, I that's think, what makes con special. Yeah, I th- I had that argument. Um, I'll use an example of Disneyland. My my wife and I had that argument about annual passes. Or like, would it be worth it? Do we, do we like Disneyland that much? Are we going to get sick of it? You know? And we, so we gave it a shot. We're like, we'll do the annual pass thing. You know, this was right before COVID, of course. And see what it's like. See if we get sick of it. See if we get bored of it. And it didn't happen. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's going to be the way with Con because it's not like, again, it's two different, two or three different seasons. And this, this isn't just Comic-Con. Like New York City Comic-Con, any Con, any Mega Con. It's never going to be the same content. No, because it's seasonal. 
there's always going to be new stuff out there. There's always going to be something to promote. And if, and you can say, well, that guy's, people are going to be like, well, why should I go to this one? If I can have a chance of getting, going to the other one, it's still a chance. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure even as, as popular as Comic Con is, I think it would sell out. And I think <laughs> it, would, yeah. it would continually sell out. You know what now, I mean? Now, when you're doing like the summer and winter seasonal idea, um, I know Disney has their own D23 thing, but would that put a little bit of pressure on Disney to maybe come back to con a little bit? Or would they still be like, fuck it, we're just going to do our own mega thing? I expect it would be numbers driven of how many people went to the Disney booth, how much merch did they sell, how many eyeballs did they reach? Yeah. I would expect a company like Disney to have a crazy metrics on if they they went to a con. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I would expect somebody like Disney to have everything down to the decimal point yeah. of of how much benefit they think they're getting from this from well, whatever the event is also you got to think and this has happened if one big name doesn't have a presence the other big names are going to jump all over that uh-huh that's more room for them so again it's it's a double-edged sword and i i think financially at least and even exposure wise it's a win-win for those people and it would be enough for them to keep wanting to have at least some kind of presence in these big conventions the two seasons of them being able to promote completely different things for their for their winter season and their summer season and not having to if you like put all the eggs in one basket and go we're promoting the summer blockbuster yeah you know we're gonna go and promote raya during the summer and then we're gonna go and promote the adams family eight in the winter con and it's a it's a win for everyone this is this is what we love to do on this podcast we love to problem solve we just we just love to do it. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is the last problem that we're going to be solving this season. Uh, un- unfortunately, if you guys have issues, then you're just going to have to wait until season two, which is unfortunate because <laughs> a lot of shit is going to go down between the end of season one and the beginning of season two, including however many other COVID variants are going to fuck up our lives. But I do want to thank Vince and James for coming on. Uh, it was great, guys. Blessing yeah, us with their us. presence. Uh, you must agree to come back. Yes. Yes, and you're bloody welcome. There, there are, <laughs> there are so many Star Trek hot takes that Teams has for James. We have to have a giant discovery discussion because I, I refuse, I refuse to let Teams off the hook for that. Oh, if if you have a discovery discussion, <laughs> Kim, my partner in crime who does the Rebinge Deep Space Nine podcast with me, uh, she will have a lot to say about that. There's nothing wrong with mushroom technology. Just stop it. <laughs> nothing at all. Vince, uh, James, thank you so much. This was so oh, much. Oh, Vince, fun. James, plug your stuff. Plug your shit. Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rebinge Deep Space Nine podcast. <laughs> uh Kim and I do a re-binge of the original Deep Space Nine series, and we walk through oh, each wait episode. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Is there, Fantastic is there a remake of the DS9 series coming? I have a lot of fanfic about... Uh, ah, okay. The Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the call from Paramount on that one. Okay. <laughs>
listen to re-binge Deep Space Nine. We go over every episode in excruciating detail and overanalyze <laughs> the episode, the progression of the series. And uh, also Kim does a women in the future section of the show talking about depiction of female characters within the episode of Deep Space Nine. That makes it sound really kind of uh, highbrow. It isn't. It's fun. We're fun people. Uh, it's not lowbrow. It's midbrow. It's oh, midbrow. Oh. It's, it's all inclusive, so it's unibrow. <laughs> it's, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But follow us on Instagram, Twitter, rebinge it. Vince, we, you have noted that you are an artist, just an overall amazing human being. Where can people go to <laughs> look at your stuff, buy your stuff, maybe connect with you so that maybe they can ask you to draw some stuff. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I am, I am an artist and you can follow me on social media Twitter and Instagram, basically um, at eggdropramen. Sounds like it spells. Twitter is mostly my random ramblings and giving, you know, Teebs and Kid Phoenix crap on whatever I happen to listen to. That's fine. Um, Instagram is where you'll find my art. Um, and, you know, Teebs once asked me what book I, or what characters I could see myself drawing or writing, you know, if I could pick anything from, from you know, the big two, Marvel or DC. And, you know, DC, Warner, Warner Brothers, if you're listening, if you're out there, Kid Phoenix and I, yeah. we're ready to take the helm. We're done. Wonder we're Twins. right there. We are we're right there. We are right there. I'm telling you, this we will make you right so there. much money. This will bring you back into the fold. Goodbye, MCU. Hello, Wonder Twins. 2022 and that's why that's why this project isn't going to be get made because the mcu is doing everything possible to stifle us from doing this because they, they can't hold us down once it happens it's over for everybody you can't hold us down you can't hold us down wonder <laughs> twins 2022 that's oh. right <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> okay okay fine right after we're going to talk about reboot stupid. century if we're gonna talk about stupid stuff, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I, I got a little Apache Chief stuff that I've been working on. Okay, okay, okay. Wonder Twin, Wonder Twins is fun just because it's the Wonder Twins. Apache Chief, you can't do that in 2021. Of course you can. Why no, can't you, can. you do it? No, you can't. No, you can't. Teams, no, you leave that to the indigenous people of Teams North like, America. He just wants to go. Don't no, do that. You're just trying. Steve just is doing everything possible to continue getting canceled, but it's not going to work. <laughs> just let just let Wonder Twins happen. It's safe. It's it's a good safe spot for everybody. You know, if you want to if you want to reboot something, Rebellion Publishing in the UK bought the archive of British comics. This is basically pretty much everything was owned in the end by like one publisher. Nice. And they talked about how they they bought this whole archive of like all this ip all this stuff going back to like the 1920s i think just a huge amount of stuff and they talked about how some of it is probably never going to see the light of day again such as the comics are set in colonial africa i see that being rough yeah they (laughs) they described that as um, a little bit of a uh, product of its time you know even what? The, even you the Phantom what? is a tough watch in 2021. You know what? Sounds like a challenge to me. Fuck it. Bring it on. Let's go. 
Uh, uh, kid, where can people find your stuff? Okay, so you can follow Teams at a team of K. Follow me at a DOB Royster. Follow the show at Teams and Kid Versus. Listen, like, subscribe to the podcast. If you are listening to us on iTunes, leave us a review. That's how we continue to try and attempt to get those sweet Casper checks. It's coming. They got to be coming at some point, right? That's it for season one, all of season one. And that that's it. That's all we got for you this that's season. All that's, that's all we, all we go got. Back, go back to throwing shade on the Wonder Twins or whatever. <laughs> we Can I go back to installing Pro Tools? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice callback. Season one is over, but we are not done. Teasing Kid Phoenix, we will be back. We will return. And we will do what all good sequels do, and that is raise the stakes and expand the universe. We'll be back. Thank you, everybody, for listening for season one. Mm-hmm. We will be back. We will keep everybody updated as far as when that happens. But until then, I am Kid Phoenix. Teeves, let's just get out of here. Let's we're done. That's it. That's all. That's all. That's all we got. That's all we got. We're done. We're out of here. Talk to you guys next year.